This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 22, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Today we bring you another highlight from Constitution Day 2008 at the Cato Institute. Randy Barnett is a law professor at the Georgetown University Law Center and a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. In 2004, he appeared before the U.S. Supreme Court to argue the medical cannabis case of Gonzalez v. Rage. He is author of numerous books, including the celebrated Restoring the Lost Constitution. At Constitution Day, Barnett delivered the annual B. Kenneth Simon Lecture and attempted to answer the question, is the Constitution libertarian? This is a segment of his remarks. The original Constitution protected the rights of life, liberty, and property against infringement by the federal government in two different ways. First and foremost, Congress must was not given a general legislative power, but only those legislative powers herein granted, referring to the powers that were specified in Article I, Section 8. You don't need the Tenth Amendment. Just look at the first sentence of Article I, which defines the legislative powers and limits those powers to the powers herein granted. That's the Tenth Amendment, only it's right in the body of the text itself. It is striking how these powers, the powers on the list in Article I, Section 8, avoid expressly restricting the rightful exercise of liberty. The power to raise and support armies does not include an express power of conscription, which would interfere with the property one has in one's own person. The power to establish the post office does not expressly claim a power to make the government post office a monopoly, which would interfere with the freedom of contract of those who wish to contract with a private company of the sort founded by Lysander Spooner. By contrast, I should say, the Articles of Confederation did accord the Congress a monopoly to esta- the power to establish a monopoly post office. That power was given in the Articles of Confederation. It was not specified in the Constitution. There are only three powers uh, on that list that might be construed as restricting the rightful exercise of liberty. The first, and most notoriously, I would say, is the Necessary and Proper Clause, granting the Congress the power to, quote, make all laws which shall be necessary and proper to carry into execution its foregoing, its other powers. Now, even here, a law must not only be necessary, it must also be proper, which suggests that a law that violates the rights retained by the people might well be improper. Second is the power of Congress, quote, to promote the progress of science in the useful arts by granting for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive rights to their respective writings and discoveries, unquote. Libertarians are divided about whether granting patents or copyrights to some violates the rights of others. But even this provision does not mandate the creation of a patent or copyright system. It merely authorizes Congress to establish one if it so chooses. And the final provision would be the power of taxation, which is a little too complicated to go into in this talk. I would just merely say that whether a general power to tax does violate or does not violate the retained rights of the people to their property, uh, it's certainly a restriction on liberty of a different order than a direct regulation or restriction of the property rights that we have. And if you want an illustration of this contrast, being forced to pay a general tax in order to pay the salaries of those who would fight in a war with being conscripted to fight in the war yourself. There's a big difference between being taxed to pay for something and being forced to do it yourself. But the, so, um, of course, the Supreme Court has upheld countless federal laws restricting liberty, primarily under the power of Congress to regulate commerce among the several states combined with an open-ended reading of the Necessary and Proper Clause. And I do want to note that pretty much every Commerce Clause case that has been used to restrict liberty has been done in the 
in combination with an overbroad reading of the necessary and proper clause. It's not being done by using the Commerce Clause alone. Further, um, the courts have upheld the power of Congress to spend tax revenues for purposes other than for carrying into execution its enumerated powers. This shows, I believe, only that with respect to federal power, the text of the original Constitution is far more libertarian than the redacted Constitution enforced by the Supreme Court. But the original Constitution is not all we have. Two years after its enactment, the Constitution was amended by the Bill of Rights. These 10 amendments included several express guarantees of such liberties as the freedom of speech, press, assembly, and the right to keep and bear arms. The Bill of Rights barred takings for public use without just compensation. It provided additional procedural assurances that the laws would be applied accurately and fairly to particular individuals. All of the rights enumerated in the Bill of Rights are consistent with, a modern, with modern libertarian political philosophy. And to this list, of rights was added the Ninth Amendment that says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. In this way, even liberty rights that were not listed were given express constitutional protection. Finally, the Tenth Amendment reaffirmed what was already stated in the first sentence of Article I, that Congress could only exercise those powers that were delegated to it by this Constitution. Now, despite the efforts of James Madison in the first Congress, the first 10 amendments only restricted federal power. States retained their virtually unlimited powers to restrict the, restrict the liberties of their, of their residents subject only to their own constitutions and their own courts. So great were the reserve powers of states that they were thought to have the power to sanction the enslavement of some persons within their jurisdiction. That's a lot of power. Because it allowed the states to violate the rights of their citizens with near impunity, the original Constitution was deeply flawed from a libertarian perspective. Fortunately, it was amended in ways that made it far more libertarian. While the 13th Amendment ban on involuntary servitude expanded the Constitution's protection of individual liberty against abuses by states, it was the 14th Amendment that radically altered the federalism of the original Constitution. For the first time, Congress and the courts could invalidate state laws, any state laws, that abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. The original meaning of privileges or immunities included the, sa the very same natural rights uh, retained by the people to which the Ninth Amendment referred, but also the additional enumerated rights that were contained in the Bill of Rights. When the privileges or immunities clause of the 14th Amendment is combined with the Ninth, the unenumerated liberty rights retained by the people were expressly protected against infringement by both federal and state governments. Of course, the protection of liberty afforded by the Constitution is not limited to the direct protection of liberty by courts. It includes as well the checks and balances provided by the separation of powers at the federal level and the division of powers by the, um, between national and state governments. In addition, the Constitution it contains popular checks on legislative and executive power. These include the power of the electorate to remove legislators and presidents from office during regular elections and eventually term limits for the president. The constitutional guarantee of a jury trial originally included not only the power of citizen juries to pass upon the facts of a case to acquit the innocent, but also the power to refuse to convict persons charged with violating unjust or unconstitutional laws. It's worth noting that 
none of these structural and procedural protections is dictated by libertarian political philosophy. All are to be assessed pragmatically by whether on balance they serve to protect fundamental rights. With the weakening or loss of the other explicitly liberty-protecting clauses of the Constitution, however, these structural constraints are responsible, are largely responsible, for preserving the liberty that Americans still enjoy. Now, some of you may have noticed that to this point, I've not mentioned, uh, much less analyzed, the foreign policy powers created by the Constitution. In this final portion of my remarks, I want to explain why libertarianism tells us very little about uh, either the conduct of foreign policy or how the foreign policy powers of the national government should be allocated among the different branches. Not coincidentally, perhaps, neither does the original meaning of the Constitution. Modern libertarianism, as I've already claimed, is based on these five fundamental rights of private property, freedom of contract, first possession, defense of self and others, and restitution. My thesis is first, a constitution is libertarian to the extent that it creates a political order that respects and protects these rights. And second, the original meaning of the constitution is far more libertarian than the redacted version applied by the Supreme Court today. Randy Barnett is a law professor at the Georgetown University Law Center and a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can hear more Constitution Day audio at Cato.org.